Hi, and welcome to episode three of A Leap in the Dark with John De La Cruz. Well, today, John De La Cruz, that's me, will be joined by Judy Wood. Judy Wood teaches at Humber College in Toronto, Canada. Judy, like me, has been an Adobe Education Leader for a while now. It's how we met, we've collaborated on a few projects, all throughout the pandemic. This is why I want to talk to Judy today about her experiences during the whole COVID era, um, the lessons learned, the technology used, engagement with students, the good stuff that's come out of this, and where we go from here. So please join me in welcoming Judy Wood. So Judy Wood, do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself and, um, and what happened at the start of the pandemic? Hi, John. Thanks. Yeah, I am, uh, I guess I'm a graphic designer type artifer at heart. I go back way back <laughs> to some really interesting times pre-computers um, and, and brought in a lot of really interesting technology into design, into education workflows, really found a studio that I had created um, it was an independent many years ago. And uh, so I have a small studio that I service a handful of clients today. Um, I went in teaching, actually learning on my own, some um, Apple script many years ago and action script for Flash. I was doing some stuff at Humber College as a continuing ed program. And one of the profs, we were working through this project. I ended up hiring a prof for one of my projects. And, and I said, you know what? this is a really cool gig you got going in. Just why don't you think about coming and joining us? And that was uh, 14 years ago. So I joined them um, kind of bringing my expertise and my experience to the classroom because definitely, as we all know, once you get into full-time um, employment at the college level, sometimes you really have a detachment from what's going on in the, in the industry. So I, I um, spent a lot of time teaching and then went and got my master's degree in learning and technology because it was great. You know, I've, I've secured my, my design knowledge and my expertise. However, I really felt my pedagogy was, it was good and it was okay, but it wasn't professional. A master's degree in learning technology that uh, master's in, in education just really hones in your skills and hones in your focus from, uh, from that pedagogy, from that strategy of approach to connecting with students and learners. And that was, that was a big part of, um, that happened about five years ago, six years ago. So that was a big thing. I, so I am a, a fellow Adobe education leader with you, John, and it's a wonderful space to be able to connect and, and grow you know, my teaching practice, but not just my teaching practice, my creativity, what I can bring from on a global scale back to the classroom. And it's all about inspiring the students. So however we can bring these new creative ways into the classroom, that's really my focus and really what I want to kind of see in the future. But when the pandemic hit, it was a huge pivot. So I'm talking to you from Toronto, Canada. I work for Humber College. It's um, one of the largest colleges here in Canada. And we were very much an in-person. Now, I had, because of my background as an instructional designer, I was really comfortable designing online courses. 
So if I had to be away or if there was a, a situation where an asynchronous session really complemented uh, the class, well, that's, it was no issue to create. But when the pandemic hit, literally Canada locked down. We locked our borders. We locked everything down. We, the international students went home. And two weeks later, three weeks later, everybody did the flip to an online environment. Well, it didn't take me long. I was very comfortable and I was able to make that pivot really very rapidly. And I supported a lot of my faculty who, you know, they were blindsided. Uh, Just a side note here, kind of irony going on pre-pandemic. So November, 2019 to February, well, right up to March, 2020, um, Ontario was in a strike with the Ontario government and the teacher teaching union. And one of the biggest stumbling blocks at the time was talking to uh, teachers were, did not want to have any online teaching and the government saying you have to bring one class. And this is at the elementary and secondary levels, one class online. We need to start to integrate students and teachers were flat out against it. And they were willing to strike over this. And it was huge. And of course the pandemic hits and that it's a moot point. It's just look at, this is the reality. And, and I was always questioning and my friends that were elementary and secondary school teachers that have these conversations, but you know, clearly that just goes back to the idea of, you know, their comfort, their aptitude with technology and their ability to transition. So, you know, they were, oh, it's going to, we're going to lose jobs. Well, no, actually you're not. You're going to grow and evolve to where things are, unfortunately today, you know, whether that's good or bad. And, and definitely, you know, that K to 12 environment is a whole different scheme, but higher ed, our students really needed to have that level of online communication skills that they were lacking, you know, I consider our kids incredibly fortunate today to be able to say that, yeah, I spent two years online. Maybe there was some issues with some of the practical learning, but far exceeded my um, expectations when it came to learning different collaborative tools and online communication, communication in general, how many of them don't even know how to answer a telephone, let alone speak to somebody on video calls, right? So, you know, these guys are going to walk into a corporate, into the industry and be able to be very comfortable doing this. Whereas, you know, in corporate world, they were struggling even to get their teams to figure out how to do this. So, you know, we have, we have thrown a plethora of, of technology and tools and very engaging content at them. So, you know, it's, I, I'm really keen to see how they're going to take this. Yeah, I, I mean, it really, that, that's a great introduction there. And from somebody who comes from a, I guess, a, a hands-on physical working environment, initially as a designer, you know, to, to bring that into your teaching practice and then, but then again, evolve, you know, over time with, um, with online learning, online pedagogies and other other methods of of engaging our students, you know, I think it's um, it feels like a natural kind of evolution, and it does amaze me to think about what kind of um, how so many individuals kind of sort of put the barriers up at first and thought we can't do this. And I was one of them. I'll hold my hand up. You know, I was oh my god. You know, two weeks to suddenly flip into online. I've always said we cannot do what we do online. 
Um, so I had to think on my feet, you know. So it's nice to hear that somebody, it's kind of awesome, you know, you were comfortable with it. You were comfortable with it. But the pivot wasn't that hard for me because, again, you know, when you're working with technology and like you said before, we're both Adobe education leaders. So we're already dealing with with tech within our practice. So it's not that big a learning curve. But I did find other faculty that were. I was one of the mentors eventually, you know, who helped people through through the crisis and gave them different tools and so on. I expected faculty colleagues to be not always as digitally literate as our students, but did the students surprise you sometimes by not being as digitally literate as you would have expected them to be? Yeah, um, that's yeah, that's a great point because the reality is it really depends on the situation. So ask a student if they are digitally literate on their telephone, on their tablet, on their mobile device, on a gaming tool, they're, you know, 90 percentile, no issue at all, right? They've got that. But put them into a business context, put them into Microsoft Office, put them into Adobe Suite, Creative Suites. Suddenly that digital literacy has dropped down to 40% because, you know, you're going to get the, and and I'm sure you get the same situation. I I do teach the um, entry level. So semester one in the last couple of years, and it always surprises me because I'll always get, oh, I know Photoshop. I've got Photoshop down. That's no issue, right? Oh, great. Excellent. So as soon as you start to introduce structure and how they should be using the tools and what the tools were meant to do and looking at at, uh, efficiencies in their workflow and their practices, they're like, I really don't know this program. And like, there you go. So did it surprise me? It surprised me that I guess a little bit that they were so cumbersome. I kind of had the expectation that the tools that we need them to learn to be career ready, that's what they hopefully they came to us for. So I wasn't terribly surprised that they didn't know. (laughs) They, you know, um, some of them are more challenging. The ones that I really were blown away by were the ones that don't understand cut, copy, paste. The universal kind of known skills because that's just telling me that they maybe didn't have ever have access to a computer so you know that's a whole different scenario but the ones that have access that really choose to have that blinders on or maybe they didn't come from a high school that had access um, we have a high percentage of in our two-year programs um, a high percentage of graduate students or students that have some sort of undergrad that are coming for their practical. So they've got their theory from university, they have a degree, now they're looking for their practical and they'll take a two-year program to do that. And so the aptitude with those, the digital literacy, uh, we typically don't have any issues at all. Again, you know, that's the Microsoft Office. That might even be the Google Suite, but, you know, they're here to learn the Adobe Suite. I know, you know, we do expect so much of them sometimes. I mean, for me, really, in terms of digital literacy, I found that, that yeah, sure. You know, we had to to maintain that level of giving demos and so on. We had to do it slightly differently. But what I found, actually, was that the multitasking across different platforms was sometimes either a difficult, a difficult concept for them to grasp or 
Now they were picking and choosing how they wanted to communicate, you know, through through different the different platforms I offered them. Um, whatever's more, most convenient or maybe, I don't know, am I being cynical in thinking that maybe they think they can hide on some and not on others? I don't know. Yeah, I, interesting. I don't know. Do you think, is it just exposure? Is it just, you know, using the tools that they need and limiting, like, you know, if I ask a student to use Microsoft to set up copy so that they can kind of simulate what a copywriter may provide to them if they're doing an editorial design, right? And suddenly they're like, you want me to use Microsoft Word? I'm like, yeah. Well, can I use InDesign? And I'm like, well, that's fine, but a copywriter isn't going to use. So I'd like you to take a, a doc file and import that and see what that looks like and what that kind of workflow is going to be. There's, you know, oh, I haven't used that program. Well, it's very simple. You know, it's, it is, there is a level of, of kind of making sure they're comfortable, giving them the tools, giving them the access to the tutorials to get, let them build their confidence too. And then once they realize that I'm pretty comfortable working in Word, for instance, but not in InDesign. Okay. Well, there's similarities, right? You got to increase the point size. You got letting, you've got line length, you've got certain parameters. Those are kind of, how do you make that work? Yeah. So multitasking, I think that, I mean, it's, it's something that we do, you know, in terms of tech as well, but I just want to take a little pause, I guess, in terms of, of what we've been talking about there and just kind of, of, um, or maybe take a step back, you know, and what I'm really curious to find out from all of the guests I'm having on this podcast series is what their, what their pillars of education are three, your three principal pillars, and they could maybe be sustainability or, ethical practice or craft skills, you know, what, what is it that you are kind of sort of working from and you try that, that kind of underpin your pedagogical practice? Yeah, probably my number one would be uh, inclusion, mm -hmm. making sure that everybody feels included and has a voice in the practice. What else? Um, making sure that they are, all of my students are career ready, are prepared for the realities of, you know, industry. That's probably a lot of what drives that. And then the third one is inspiration. Inspiration to make sure that they have the desire to take their learning to the next level, to be a self-directed learner, to be a learner that just takes everything to beyond the classroom just to delve deeper. That's probably my three key ones. Yeah. I like that last one, you know, to take the learning outside of the classroom, beyond the classroom. That's something I try to do as well. Let's talk a little bit about inclusion, first of all, because this kind of relates to, uh, to our experiences during the pandemic. And, and as we emerge out of, you know, the, the lockdowns and we set, set feet back on campus and kind of return in a way to our studio spaces. Inclusivity and in, you know, inclusion generally, do you feel that it's suffered during lockdown because of the, I guess, what we could call the black tile syndrome on Zoom, for instance, you know, where the quiet student can hide? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, and just the idea of from a from a teaching perspective, you felt like you were talking to an abyss because they weren't out there. And a funny, funny little story antidote here. I had a, 
I came into one of my classes in the fall and it was a, an 8 a.m. class and I'm setting up and I, I look over at my screen and it is filled with faces and they totally threw me off. They all turned they did it intentionally to all of their profs to get some sort of reaction and it took me back. So I had to kind of rethink about Okay, what am I looking at? What am I doing? Oh, hello. Good morning. <laughs> it was just so, yeah. Um, but no, to that, you're right. They can hide. How many log on, but that are not there, right? Mm-hmm. They're there to get the attendance that says their name is part of a participant. But um, I would always throw up polls throughout the class. And that immediately would tell me how many were not there. And then, you know, I, I would put out, hey, anybody who's maybe logged in but not looking at the screen, I have a poll on, would you mind? Immediately, I would see an uptake in my poll response. Mm-hmm. Um, so just a, a quick way to see that. But but you're right. You know, there's a couple really interesting observations for that from, well, the reality is, you know, without that body language, it's really hard to determine who's struggling. Mm-hmm. So whether or not, you know, we, we put it out there, we're delivering and, you know, there's going to be those set group that's going to go on into the chat. That's going to be turn on their mics. That's going to be uh, interactive with us, but there is that handful out there that you'll get the email from after. I didn't really understand that concept. Can we have a meeting or whatever? And that's great. But then there's also those handful that, they logged in. They're not handing in content. They're not. And how do you reach them? So again, it's another email, but you know, it's so impersonal and you try to connect and say, Hey, I'm here to support you. Mm-hmm. I'm here to see you be successful. Let me see how I can do that. But you need to tell me, because if you don't hand something in and then you have the whole issue of, you know, did they actually produce the work? Yeah. Right. So then you have that whole ethical dilemma of, you know, making sure that your assessments are set up properly, that it kind of forces the issue. But I, I, for the last two years, I couldn't validate that every single one of them completed their work. They have a graphic designer in their family and they chose to do their work for them. Maybe. Tough, right? <laughs> tough call. Tough call. Yeah. I mean, the, um, those moments that we have when we're in person, when we see the work and we get those out. We ourselves get ideas, you know, how they can progress, how can they can improve on their visualization, on on their ideation generally. Yeah. Kind of, you know, it's tricky when they're not sharing the screen, or you know, when you hear that little doorbell sign that shows that the one who's not done the work has just dropped out. In the in-class situation, there's no escape. I mean, you can ask, you know, let's have a look at what you've you've been doing so far. And if they haven't, then they, they have to come clean. And then you can talk about strategies, right? right? If you can just simply, just simply leave the meeting, it makes it a little bit tougher for us to track, but also for them to, to kind of take their learning to that next stage. But I think, I don't know, in my experience, they've been the minority, you know, for in terms of inclusion, what it brought to, it brought home to me was that not everybody is equal in terms of technology. So when you're working from home, and you're questioning the black tiles a lot of the time, sometimes it's for a very good reason because grandma is sitting next to them. Or <laughs> there was one anecdote, you know, where uh, this one guy, I think it was his like, uh, some cousins and some friends were like, so sat on the couch with them. Um, they were also doing their own thing. This guy had to t- had to log into class, but you know, they're all there with their beers and, you know, 
doing their thing. And this guy is like, so you know, he's got his headphones on and he's watching whatever we're doing. His camera was on and we can see everything else that's going on in the room. And of course, you know, that's, um, it's kind of candid. Awkward. It's candid, you know, and, um, it and it's awkward for them. And so you understand, you can appreciate why so many did switch off their cameras when they, they didn't want you to see, you know, I mean, and that, that's fair enough, I guess. But, but to that point, from a creativity standpoint, I feel that they had more freedom to be inclusive, to be, to share their stuff. So I use some tools like uh, Padlet. I don't know if you're familiar with Padlet. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, So we put stuff up and, and everything that we did, all of the deadlines um, were based on deliverables. So if a project was five weeks long, every two weeks, every week, whatever it was, part of their ideation, part of their digital proofs, whatever, but they would post it. And then I would have peer feedback. So from an inclusion standpoint, the ones that didn't post, and it was very few because suddenly they realized, Hey, wait a minute. You know, I'm kind of, these are kind of my direction where I'm going and they're getting feedback and says, well, this is strong. And this one's going to be more challenging to do. And suddenly decisions were helped were made for them. And that, and that really all the feedback I get on the peer feedback at the end, because I would always pipe in and I give them a couple little words or support, but it wouldn't be a whole lot. It wasn't just me guiding their learning. It was a whole collaborative effort. So that was um, from an inclusion standpoint, I think that really helped everybody feel like they were part of a cohort. That was, that was good. 